more with Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar. Presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Joining us now to break down the Denver Broncos training camp situation as it gets going is Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette. Of course, previously covered uh, the Vikings before coming back to Denver where uh, very few people knew more about the Denver Nuggets. So, Chris, always good uh, to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. But as the Broncos report to training camp, we've really spent the last uh, hour, quite frankly, talking about Russell Wilson and the task that Sean Payton has in turning him around, uh, specifically the fact that Wilson under Hackett Basically, if he was coached, it wasn't for very much. The Broncos let him have an office. They let him do his own thing, and it was a disaster. Is Does that make it easier for Sean Payton to return order and run a tighter ship, or does it make it harder, uh, given that Wilson had that power, even though the, the result was atrocious? I think it probably makes it easier. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I think it makes it easier because, I mean, Russell Wilson's no dummy. He can look at the stats. He knows he had a terrible season last year. His passer rating was around 84, like way under the 100 or so he's used to. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if he had had, in his estimation, a pretty good season or something like that, and, hey, what are you, what are you trying to change it for? That would be another thing. And also, Russell has great respect for Sean Payton. I mean, he's obviously – seen what he's done with quarterbacks over the years, namely Drew Brees. So uh, I think that makes it easier. And I think Russell Wilson knows that uh, he better turn things around this year. And uh, the best way to do that, of course, is to buy in as best as he can to Sean Payton. One thing we didn't talk about in the first hour is the list of all-time sacks taken by quarterbacks who have had 400 or more in any career through the end of last year. And only Randall Cunningham and Phil Sims, two quarterbacks who lost it suddenly and declined rapidly, only Randall Cunningham and Phil Sims on a per-game basis have been sacked more often than Russell Wilson. And some of the others on the list at the top include Alex Smith, Donovan McNabb, Drew Bledsoe, Matthew Stafford, Dave Craig. Stafford, I suppose the jury is still out, but last year was certainly a rough year for him, uh, at least when uh, he couldn't play because of injury or when Cooper Cup couldn't play because Cooper Cup was hurt a lot last year. My question to you is isn't Wilson who's near the top of that list the more likely to decline quickly than Breeze who is literally at the bottom of that list or maybe there's another answer and that's that Sean Payton did a hell of a job of protecting Drew Breeze and certainly, even if you believe Russell Wilson held the ball too long, he was not very well protected last year by Denver's offensive line. Well, several points. Yeah, as you know, Russell Wilson was sacked 55 times last year in the Broncos' third 53 dumps, highest in the NFL. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Sean Payton's philosophy of 
beefing up the interior of the line. Ben Powers is the new guy there. He's going to help matters. Also, getting Mike McGlinchey at right tackle. I mean, he's a better run blocker than a pass yes. blocker, but Sean Payton wants to run the ball, and if you run the ball, it means you drop back to pass less, and he will get less shots, possibly. So, overall, one the Broncos certainly hope that the improved offensive line is going to uh, limit the sacks, and also everybody noticed that Russell Wilson this spring came back leaner. He uh, will probably have more mobility than he did last year, even though he's a year older due to losing weight. So that certainly could also help him avoid some sacks. But you bring up another interesting point. I mean, he's going to be 35 in November, and exactly. some quarterbacks, when they hit their mid-30s, they just fall off a cliff. I mean, Tom Brady, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, who are still going strong at 40 or just shy of 40, are the uh, rarity rather than the exception. That that's the case, and I think what we've seen, Chris, is is you're right with the with the Brady's and and the Rogers and the Breezes, uh, the idea that these quarterbacks just continue. The, there's been a notion around the, the the league, right? Well, quarterbacks now are protected enough they can play till they're forty. That's still a distinct exception to the rule, especially if you get hit. I don't think we look at mobile quarterbacks and look at a Lamar Jackson or look at even a Jalen Hurts. Certainly, we. Uh, didn't look at some of these other players that moved around and say they're going to play till they're 40. It, it depends on the damage you take in a lot of ways. You know, there has a wear and tear. And in Wilson's case, I, I, I look at this entire career leading up to now, and then I look at last year. Yes, there is a drop-off. This with this last season was so disastrous. I, I can't imagine that he cannot bounce back. But is there a level to which he will bounce back, or do you simply believe at this point that 2023 will be Russell Wilson's? second-worst season as an NFL pro? Well, I think the level will ultimately be wins and losses. I mean, uh, you sometimes hate to bring up the dreaded game manager label, but if they can get a good running game going and Wilson maybe passes less than he has in the past, and if it translates into some wins, even if his numbers aren't as great, I mean, that's a key consideration, and uh, we'll see if that happens, and I'll ask Russell Wilson if he's a game manager and see how he reacts. <laughs> uh, perhaps not terribly well, but he's pretty guarded and pretty smart in the way he deals with the media, so uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, you who have uh, a flair for asking the uncomfortable question <laughs> Uh, will be stymied by Russell Wilson. Uh, he'll be a test for you. I can. Uh, I, I think more of a test than maybe uh, uh, Kirk Cousins was in, in Minnesota. But in any case, if I well, ask... Well, if I could jump in, I mean, in, <laughs> in his last game in the Super Bowl 50, I mean, Peyton Manning played like a game manager. So sure he did. got the win. Oh, he had, he had made peace with that notion uh, that it, it, there was some self-awareness there with Peyton Manning, a lot of self-awareness, at least in the playoffs that year. In the regular season, maybe not so much. Uh, he started nine games, and he threw interceptions in every one of them. Uh, uh-huh. So, it, that, whatever. Uh, if you were asked this question, how 
would you answer? Who is the best offensive player right now on the Denver Broncos? Wow. You'd have to think about it, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, I'm going to throw up Jerry Judy only because he finished last season so strong right. and he's got a lot of upside. Me I mean, too. So the guy who was drafted ahead of Justin Jefferson and there's, there's a side there. So he has the potential for that. So uh, that's my guy. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree with that. And the problem is it's sort of hard to think of somebody else at this stage with Javante Williams being hurt. And so process of elimination. Right. And uh, I guess when we take a look at that offense and look at what it can generate, uh, until Javante Williams is back and fully healthy, I think they added a good back in Samaje Piran. I think that's one of the better pickups the Broncos made. But uh, he's never really been a lead back. There's a lot of turnover in the offensive line with McGlinchey and Powers. Sometimes that takes a little while to gel. Uh, is there any way that Sean Payton can put this offense in a microwave and get it done a little bit faster than anybody thinks? Well, I think they've got a lot of confidence in Javante Williams that he's going to be healthy. Sean Payton said before anybody saw that Javante was limited in spring drills that, hey, he's uh, we think he'll be ready for the start of training camp. And he's kind of like, Oh, really? Okay. And then boom, he's all, <laughs> that all was our reaction too. Yeah. yeah. And then he's at, then the first day of OTAs that was open to the media, he's out there granted, not doing a lot. And so, um, I think, I mean, they haven't made a move on any other running backs and they only have five on the entire roster, which seems like kind of a, a low number for a team at this point, even if everybody's fully healthy. So let's say magically sign a running back, you know, by next uh, Tuesday's reporting day. I mean, I think they've got a lot of confidence in their, their backs and the health of Javante. I want to ask you about Justin Simmons, uh, who is perhaps unique uh, in recent NFL history anyway. At the age of 29, year in and year out, considered an all-pro caliber safety. Since 2019, he has 20 interceptions. That obviously is number one among safeties in all of the NFL. And overall, it's number two behind only J.C. Jackson's 22 interceptions since 2019. Justin Simmons has never participated in a playoff game. He's participated on one winning team, and that was his rookie year in 2016. Six consecutive years of losing. Five different head coaches, five different defensive coordinators, two ownership entities, and a partridge in a pear tree. No, I'm <laughs> only kidding. But during that time, uh, since 16, the Bronco offense has been 31st in the NFL and expected uh, points added and the defense has been fifth in total defense expected points added since 2016 uh what are we to make of uh, justin simmons when it comes to the idea of his being worn down by all the losing finally having a head coach and maybe a defensive coordinator he knows a little bit. Vance Joseph was, after all, the head coach here. And we're going to see a refreshed 
Uh, Justin Simmons this year, at least as good as he's ever been. Uh, I, I wonder if even Justin Simmons, who is always enthusiastic and upbeat and optimistic, that even the losing has to wear somebody like that down at some point, doesn't it? Well, I've obviously, I've only been covering the team since March and only dealing with him in spring drills, but from what I've seen, I mean, he seems to be the absolute person that throws, you know, not not complaining, and I haven't seen any signs of losing, you know, wearing him down. I mean, I guess if those signs were visible, they'd probably be most visible last year, which was a disaster, so uh, I'm sure he's got an extra bounce in his step for some of the reasons you mentioned. I mean, having Vance Joseph uh, back, who he has said he respects greatly, and then, you know, Sean Payton as coach. I mean, I think Justin Simmons looks at who the last three coaches have been. They've never had any head coaching experience when they came in, let alone having won a Super Bowl, like Payton said. So I think I would imagine he's got an extra bounce in his step. So we'll see if that uh, continues. He is Chris Thomason. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at Chris Thomason, T-O-M-A-S-S-O-N, with the Denver Gazette covering the Denver Broncos. Obviously, uh, it is time. The Broncos are going to start doing what they can to put the rubber to the road and try to get towards that wild card uh, spot. That's the, that's the goal, contention for a wild card spot. Hopefully, maybe claim one in a stacked AFC. So make sure you uh, give Chris a follow and while you're there. Uh, take a look at the Denver Gazette. Subscribe to everything they're putting together over there with all the teams and all the terrific coverage. So thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Chris Thomason joining us from the Denver Gazette. And uh, the idea of Simmons continue to me as he said a consummate pro, uh, that's going to be more important than you might think because when you look at the leaders on the team, right? Now, presumably people look to the, the quarterback in a lot of cases, and Russell Wilson, I suppose, will have uh, a stake in some of that. But at the same time, um, Justin Simmons has been there the longest. Justin Simmons at this stage is, besides Russell Wilson, the most accomplished player on this roster when it comes to Pro Bowls, when it comes to All-Pro votes, when it comes to the, the way they're considered among their peers. He, in many ways, I think... If he's not, and he's not the necessarily fiery leader type, but I think he's no, that's got, more Kareem Jackson. Yeah, actually, he's got to be, and it's it's not a totally fair comparison because there's still different guys. But hopefully, you get the point. He's kind of got to be the Joe Sackick when he played the guy that's look. I'm not I'm not the big talker. I'm not going to push every guys, but look, I'm excellent. I'm excellent every single day. I set a standard. You guys need to catch up. And that's just the way it's going to be. I suppose you could draw a comparison based on largely the futility of the Quebec Nordiques during the early stages of Joe Sackick's career. And he remained, as you say, a, a professional. But once Pierre Paget became the coach in Quebec City, and especially once Mark Crawford took over, they weren't bad anymore. Right. And, yeah, very early in his career, Quebec was as bad as the Broncos have been over the last six years. My issue, though, I guess, with Simmons 
is that when you say that there's, and Chris admitted, you know, he's not covered Justin Simmons. He's not covered the Broncos for the past six years. Right. And Simmons seems like the consummate pro to him, but I would suggest that Simmons has always been the consummate pro. Yes. And oh, yes. has always Stay said one. the quote-unquote right thing. But I guess the comparison for me would be with Todd Helton. Okay. Uh, and okay. Helton was finally rewarded in 2007, but certainly during the first six years of Helton's career, success was fleeting, if it existed at all, over any kind of sustained period. And it was frustrating to me that Todd Helton never really spoke out about the pain of losing and losing as often as the Rockies did. And again, I understand Justin Simmons feels his role as a leader is to be upbeat and maybe pull back this year in his projections about how good the team might be. Because last year, you couldn't stop him from talking about how the Broncos were on their way to the playoffs. And if not the first year, then soon thereafter, a Super Bowl title. Right. I mean, they had Russell Wilson. They had this enthusiastic young coach who was diametrically the opposite of Vic Mangio and, frankly, of Vance Joseph, uh, too. Um, maybe Vance Joseph kind of in between Fangio and <laughs> Hackett on the spectrum. Right. Uh, because Vance Joseph, as a head coach, you remember, never saw a Wednesday practice he didn't love, and for the life of him, couldn't understand how the Broncos ever lost a game on Sunday because they always had these great Wednesday practices. And there was a little happy talk there. Nothing like Hackett last mm-hmm. year. I mean, Hackett just thought everything was great all the time. Right. And uh, losing, well, you know, it'll get better. I promise. It'll get better. Um, so you go from... Simmons speaking of playoffs and titles last year to saying the Broncos would be fully prepared this year. I have no doubt that they will be better prepared under this head coach. But I assume that at least in this division, the Chiefs and the Chargers will be fully prepared too. And we've we've just heard so much of this stuff before, and I'd be – Again, a little more comfortable if Justin Simmons had said before the fact in previous years, here's what we have to do to be better, rather than just, again, say, not about himself, Mm -hmm. but about the team, I am confident. Well, I am confident that we will be in the playoffs. I am confident that Super Bowl... Titles are on the way. One of the immense challenges, of course, for for Justin Simmons is, why would you be? How would you be? How would you know? You haven't been on a team that's ever achieved like that in the NFL level. So it is is tricky. We will alter our attention for a moment. Pac-12 Media Day happening in Las Vegas. The uh, preseason media poll comes out not good for the currently Deion Sanders-less Buffalo. Sanders undergoing surgery and not at Media Day. Uh, Is it right? Is it wrong? Are the buffs actually, have they been talked about so much that now the pushback means they're a little underrated? We'll discuss it next on Miley Sports. 
Forever young, this I know, this I know. She told me don't worry about it. She told me don't worry. Sandy Cuff and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Pac-12 had its media day. We're still uh, you know, talking here and there, obviously, when you're talking about the Pac-12 media day. And it is an, an important one because it has been almost a year now in which the conference director, George Klevikoff, Open negotiations for the new media deal, which expires at the uh, next year. These talks have continued to drag on, and important to note yesterday, uh, in, in, in an interview with the Denver Post, Sean Keeler in particular broke it down, that Chancellor Phil DiStefano said that they would be looking forward to uh, hearing what the commissioner had to say on Thursday about the new media rights. Well, there aren't going to be any. The reports now that there, there, there are, there is no new media deal. There is nothing to discuss. That the talk is that well, um, negotiations are still ongoing, and it seems promising. Over at uh, the Athletic, they talked specifically about this with an unnamed a chancellor saying, "quote We've seen folks come to the table that were not at the table six months ago. The patience the presidents and chancellors are showing is paying off because waiting is going to result in better deals than the league would have gotten three, six, or nine months ago." They were asked when there would a uh, announcement might happen, and they said, "quote uh, the near future." The challenge is that there are schools like Colorado that are being courted by the Big Twelve, which has a media deal, which runs through twenty thirty one. DiStefano told the Post, "CU's goal is to stay within the Pac twelve and have a media deal coming up shortly. That's our goal." However. You read between the lines, and you have the chancellor, who, in theory, would know that no media deal is coming today at Media Day, saying that he's looking forward to hearing what the commissioner says, knowing the commissioner's not going to say anything. That's a challenge. The other challenge, of course, is Deion Sanders undergoing surgery on his left foot and misses Media Day. Deion Sanders has very quickly become the most marketable part of signing the Pac-12. So Colorado finds themselves in a position in which they have not been in decades, highly in demand, not only for one conference, the one they're in, but for another. And at at what point will that window close? Is Deion Sanders going to finish all five years coaching? Is is it going to be shorter? Who knows? What should CU do to leverage it? It's tricky. And when the preseason poll came out today, they ranked the uh, the teams in the media poll that cover the Pac-12. Colorado was expected in this poll to finish 11th out of 12th, ahead of only Stanford. Right. At, at this and stage, that was Phil Steele's projection as well. It feels as if CU is, it went to being, wow, they're going to be a top 25 team under Sanders, which is always ridiculous. That was just right. the hype you got at the national level. To, wow, they're going to be really terrible. Now they're at 11. The over-under, uh, our Superbook is three and a half wins. Sandy, I think at this point they're actually becoming a little bit underrated, which is exactly what you want for CU. You want right now to be able to surprise a little bit because I don't think a bowl is in the cards. It could be. I think six is a is a ceiling this year. 
But realistically, I think uh, five wins would be a great year. And now it seems that that CU is dealing, uh, as backward as that sounds, from a position of strength, where they can find themselves in a better-than-expected season with a marketable team at an important time in two conferences alignments. I agree with your assessment of how the narrative has gone. There was the initial burst of enthusiasm, even among people who haven't watched a CU football game in years, if not decades, that all of a sudden look at the charisma demonstrated by this new head coach. Um, We hear that they've only had one winning season in the last 17 years that does not include the four and two and (laughs) right. 2020. Right. Uh, So there was that followed by increasingly scathing criticism of the way that Sanders was handling uh, the transfer portal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, the massive number of changes made by the University of Colorado, which uh, uh, brings back, uh, as was uh, mentioned this week in USA Today, I believe, that, uh, 50 years ago when Johnny Majors came to Pitt off a one-win season, and within four years he had a national championship team. And even 50 years later, there's some who questioned under uh, the guidelines supposedly in place at the time, whether Johnny Majors was changing out, what, 65 <laughs> players' scholarships mm-hmm. that he was able to offer, and the next year they changed the rules on how many scholarships but, I mean, really offer a, all a, that. A bigger but, change than even what happened in Colorado, yeah, given the, yeah, given the right. landscape at the time. Right, right. right. So we, we had those two extremes to the point that now uh, – You've had a number of coaches come out fairly publicly and criticize Sanders for the way he has operated over the past few months and um, don't seem to be awfully anxious to uh, wish Colorado well. Uh, now, of course, that's because season. Sanders is taking some of their players as part of the equation, too. Nobody's been tripling over themselves to take. So in, in some ways. But I, I, I don't know how many pit players that Deion Sanders took, and yet the pit coach was probably more explicit in his criticism mm-hmm. than anybody else. He was. Uh, and, you know, a lot of that probably is, is jealousy. Uh, it, no question. But the point it is that you have one extreme at the beginning, then the other extreme. And in talking with a number of people who have been CU boosters slash season ticket holders who follow the program for decades, maybe even generations, their reaction right now is, geez, let's get off the guy's back a little bit. Why can't these people get off his back? Okay, I get some of the criticism. I get it. But... It now seems to be that the case that there is an active coterie of coaches that are rooting against 
Sanders sure. as much as they're pulling for their teams to be mm-hmm. successful in, in the coming season. And it seems excessive, at least as excessive as the initial praise was. Wow, what a turnaround CU is in for. And media and fans were talking about eight-win and nine-win campaigns. And Dion, after it, his initial press conference, saying that one of the things uh, Coach Sanders uh, said that I thought was admirable is that this turnaround may not ha- happen as quickly as some of us would would hope, and I thought maybe more than anybody else, he's talking about himself, right. and reminding himself that going from one win to nine or ten wins in a major bowl game uh, might be even for Coach Deion Sanders uh, a bit of a stretch. I, I I think we've gotten now to the point where I I'm I'm with my friend on this. Let's get to the season, which is starting six weeks right. from Saturday. And let's stop getting carried away one way or the other. Being, well, college football will never survive. It, especially if Deion Sanders succeeds. It can't be both, right? It can't be both, right? They do this in the rank, and the, the polls have them 11th out of 12? Well, well yeah. But I, I wonder... I, I wonder whether, you know, li- li- listen, they're, they're, I, I don't think they're going to go 3-9. and nine. I don't either. Or 2-10. and 10. Or 1-11 again, all right? I don't know that they'll go 6-6, six and six, but I think they have a crack at it. They'll probably have to win at least one game along the way that they're not supposed to win. And... We were talking the other day, I think, off the air about Air Force. Mm-hmm. Um, until the final game of the year for Air Force at Boise State, it is likely that the Falcons will be favored in every single game they play. Yeah. Out of the first 11, they will not be an underdog in any one of those 11 games, including Colorado State and Wyoming. And, and this is not to denigrate Air Force no, that does a terrific job, no, but at the same but time, they, that's the, mount, that's okay, the Mountain West, that's in which the, mountain the Rams are going to be underdogs exactly. to the Buffs, and the Rams exactly. are over under. Our so, Super Book is five I, games. I think the reality, which a no, nobody seems to focus on as they go to one extreme edge or the other extreme edge, is the altogether likely prospect that CU will be a five- or six-win team in 2023. Which, from a purely football standpoint, would be a monumental step forward from a one-win season, that much of a turnaround in one year, given the roster turnaround and coaching changes. That would be huge. And... Eventually, it is going to just get to the football, but I'll leave you with this, with no media deal being announced at Pac-12 Media Day. Sanders not being there because of the surgery. The Post article in which they talked with Stefano, the chancellor, they took a look at the, the numbers. Now, the, when you're looking at the per-school media rights distribution of those Power Five conferences, uh, Big Ten was tops. Each school got $58.8 million. The SEC, $49.9 million. The Big 12 ranged between $42.0 million and $44.9 million because they don't necessarily have a uh, what they call an equal right sharing. The Pac-12 deal, whenever it comes in, is expected to be equal. So all 
Uh, it will be 10 teams, by the way, as USC and UCLA depart after this season, would split things evenly, and the ACC between 37.9 and 41.3 million. DeSevano was asked specifically if there was a target payout number, and what he said was this, quote, you'd like to see it at, I think all along we've talked about looking at what the ACC and Big 12 and what the SEC and Big 10 are getting and wanting to be kind of in the middle of the pack, probably to be third behind the SEC. That's been the goal for such a long time. I think that's fair, given the fact that uh, they're, Situation mostly on the West Coast gives them a window of television audiences that is almost totally unique. Now, is it drawback out East? Yeah, it is. But for people out West, it, it it's not. So third sounds right. But that does sort of put a number on it, doesn't it? Because if number one was the Big Ten, then the SEC, then the Big 12, then the ACC, if they don't pass the Big 12, then guess which one's third? The Big 12. The one that's courting CU. I think DeStefano's kind of made his position pretty clear here. We're going to the conference that ranks third. If it's the Pac-12, great. If it's not, heads up. We want to get paid while we can get paid. Sure. Finish that by saying, looking to get a final number on media rights. That's why we're meeting tomorrow. Well, as now the reports are clear, he's going to be disappointed. Right. That's not great for the Pac-12. But Colorado seems to be in a position where, you know what? It doesn't really matter for them. doesn't matter. and Which is a great spot to be I in. I think a fair number of people would be perfectly pleased if Colorado went back to the Big 12. I, I'm, I'm one of them. Wouldn't bother me in the slightest. I, I really don't And care. even believe, which I don't, that they never should have left. I think that I, I, be, I do believe that leaving made sense. I do think that the experiment has diminished the program. Uh, for a, for a handful of reasons. Yeah, I think their program was was going to be bad anyway. I I think we've seen the same kind of deterioration. Um, I, I I think what happened is the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 at CU joined anymore. Right. When USC and UCLA are gone, it ain't the Pac-12 anymore. Uh, no. And Oregon may be Oregon's probably following them very, very quickly well next. Yeah, and now you're looking at. The, what's the West Coast Conference in basketball all of a sudden? Totally different thing. Well, I talked about those uh, over-unders. So over at Superbook Sports, where they're changing the game, help your bets stay hot this summer at Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now when you use the promo code Mile High, you get to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. And that means the win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with promo code Mile High. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter that promo code Mile High, easy enough, and you'll get 250 bucks, courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Sandy, this time next week, we will be talking about the last day, about Denver Broncos football on a field somewhere. Over the next week, what are we going to take a look at in that final week of calm before the storm? We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports. You wanted control, so we waited. I put on a show. Now I'm naked. You say I'm a kid. My ego is big. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. 
This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Sandy, the Denver Broncos veterans report to camp on Tuesday. The first practice the fans will be able to see. 3,000 of them, by the way. Remember last year, this time last year, uh, the Broncos happily tweeted out a a crowd of 7,121. The max now will be less than half of that. Only 3,000 fans have to be ticketed through Mm. Ticketmaster. That changes things uh, a little bit for the fans. For those fans and that it can't makes the go, head coach very, very happy. Uh, yes, fewer, fewer fans means. Uh, and, here, and here's the re- here's the reason for that to be as simple as possible. When practices are open to the fans, there is some pressure to do things that look more like a game that fans can cheer for and like. Whether it's seven on seven or whether it's goal line or whether things like that, uh, there's pressure to do it. And sometimes coaches may not want that on their schedule well, that day. You had last year. All these people coming out. Remember the first intra-squad scrimmage? Mm-hmm. All these people coming out and by the end of the practice wondering why they bothered because they saw nothing. They saw a team jogging through its quote-unquote scrimmage, which you and I could have comfortably participated in for all that it amounted to. And the general feeling among fans by the end of training camp was, why do we waste our time even coming out here once? Why do we waste our time? They don't do anything. Well, and I get I it. think it'll be different this year. And the irony is, of course, there won't be as many fans around uh, to watch it. I think there will be more live periods. There weren't basically any last year. From right. what I remember, almost no live periods. So, more than just two or three, maybe, will be something that allows Peyton to sit at the end of camp. We've been physical and competitive in this environment more so than we were last year. If he chooses to say that, he'll be able to say that with a straight face and be uh, accurate. It, it's it's interesting to see how this this number goes down. And it, it, Jeff Legwald of ESPN did a great job kind of digging and talking to folks in uh, Arapahoe County. And uh, pretty fascinating. It really boils down to, lest you think that's just the Broncos are cutting it back. Not actually true. The South Metro Fire Department, uh, actually the Broncos, when they tweeted that 7,121 attendance, uh, it, it was sent to them. And they said at any point in time, like that seems, that seems pretty big. And they needed to go visit the site. Uh, the Broncos weren't necessarily tracking it. During the reporting of, of Legwald, went back and looked. The blueprints that were stamped and signed by the architects, according to the Arapahoe County spokesman Anders Nelson, listed capacity at 3,200 for the area around the field house, including the hillside where fans sit for practices. That was the capacity also listed on the certificate of occupancy issued in February of 2015. Nelson pointed out, quote, that capacity doesn't change unless modifications were made to the site. No modifications they were made. Won't. So if the Broncos want to increase the capacity, they have to make prop modifications to the property. Keep in mind, that's going to happen. I, I know people are looking at the idea of the new ownership is going to build a new stadium and build all sorts of things. I don't know how quickly that's going to happen, but you know what? I do expect significant changes in the practice facility to happen, including potentially... In conjunction with a new stadium. Yeah, and, and including potentially not even having it there. Right. I, th- I think all options are on the table for the for the practice right, facility. Right. Absolutely. And uh, in, in this case, though, it's important when when you look at this this difference here, the thirty two hundred is the listed amount. Yeah. And you have to, like well, any business, it, you have to follow fire code. That's just that, the reality. Although technically, 
during training camp, new ownership came into being officially. Right. Correct? Mm-hmm. No one was in charge. No one. Not a, not a, not, not a the head back. coach, not the general manager. There wasn't officially, at least in the early stages of camp, any owner who was going to step in and say, wait a minute, 7,000? Yeah, are we sure that's what it's we sure that's supposed what to be? It is right. And what, if it is true, and we aren't exaggerating by 4,000 <laughs> or more, is it? Yeah, because someone might notice our certificate of occupancy. I said, don't know. They do. I don't think anybody was paying any no. attention whatsoever. In fact, with the ladies reporting, he said the Broncos in, were unaware of that. The, uh, of, that of fits in with the general profile of this organization over the past six years at the very least, and I would say the better part of a decade, to be honest, although their performance for portions of the past decade has been rather good. It's just the last six years, seven if you want to stretch it, without a playoff appearance that have been so disappointing. But the common thread is that nobody's been really in charge over that period of time, and I think John Elway, in in all honesty, sort of abdicated that position, and I guess Joe Ellis was nominally the person uh, in charge, but uh, they weren't announcing 7,000 people at training camp during the final years of the Joe Ellis regime. I look at the reality of the situation here with the Denver Broncos, and I think that in the end you're talking about the the idea of this going down. There, there are a couple of different things that could be true at the same time. The 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 notion of the Broncos knocking this down to 3,200, it can be indicative of a few things. And certainly working with Ticketmaster to make these ticketed. Uh, one, eventually, every NFL team, including the Broncos, is going to be selling tickets at some value, at some amount of money, whether it's five bucks or whatever. They're going to be selling tickets to training camps. And that's why you partner with the Ticketmaster, because Ticketmaster isn't terribly fun about, fond of handling things that they don't make money off of. And anybody who's ever used, say, Ticketmaster or any of the ticket uh, buying apps know that um, they make a lot of money off of service charges. So that groundwork is very straightforward. Eventually, the Broncos, as most NFL teams are doing, are setting the groundwork where they'll pay some amount of money you'll pay to go see training camp. That's part of it. That's a a league-wide but the fact that all of a sudden the Broncos cut this back to the 3,000, given what we now know about the certificate of occupancies but from 2015, mind you, indicates that at least with new ownership, they're paying attention to what they bought. They're giving everything the once-over. That part is good. The idea that fans are eventually going to pay for training camp practices, not good. The fact that ownerships, however, are saying, you know what, hey, Occupancy is thirty two hundred. We better keep it under thirty two hundred. We're not. How embarrassing would be to be an NFL team where we get fire marshals having to visit? It, yeah, and give us code I, violations. That's ridiculous. Sure, Cap sure. It. it. It is at least an example of the new ownership is one, not only looking at the big stuff of the football, but looking at going over this organization with the proverbial fine tooth comb and hopefully cleaning out the gutters, dusting off the baseboards, all those things that haven't happened over the last few years, and that gives me some belief that the ship can get righted. 
I agree with all that, but more than one thing can be true. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think it also coincides with a strong preference, if not outright demand of the head coach. We're not putting on a show for fans when we're practicing. I agree. That's also, Back that's to also his part of it. Quote, they have we to have a way very nicely. of practicing. We have a way of training. We have a way of meeting. It is not for everybody. They fit together very nicely. And it is out. not Looks for more great. than 3,000 fans in the opinion of the head coach. And if anyone is in charge, it ain't the owner and it ain't the general manager. It's Sean right Payton, now who is in charge of the Broncos, who blew their first interview with Sean Payton so sky high that he all but gave up on them until there was an intervention that split up the uh, warring factions within ownership uh, with Walton and Penner fighting, uh, presumably throughout last season, too, from what I've heard, over who's really in charge. Penner, obviously, the day-to-day -day guy, but Walton's the money guy. Right. And in those situations, the money guy usually gets uh, his way. Yes. And so... When in the first interview it became obvious that the two were at odds, uh, Peyton was not impressed um, any more than anybody else was, by the way. The Broncos are thoroughly unimpressive during interviews with prospective coaching candidates, and even on the second go-round were rejected by most of them. There was a difference in the way they interviewed Peyton, a notable difference the second time, and he ended up taking the job. But to think that he took the job without having matters that he preferred settled completely and without being put in complete charge is naive at best. It is going to be the Sean Payton show. I think we understand that that is what the Denver Broncos training camp and maybe the whole season is going to be about uh, the first practice a week from tomorrow. Well, we'll be back tomorrow to talk about more. Thanks to Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette for joining us for some of that insight. If you missed any of the program or that interview with Chris, you can always go to MileHighSports.com or even better, download the free Mile High Sports app. Have it on your phone in your pocket. You can listen to any of the programs, not just us, everybody, uh, whenever you'd like. Catch up on any of the older uh, the programs, the podcast, the coverage of the teams, the whole uh, proverbial kit and caboodle all in that app. So check out the Mile High Sports app. We will be back tomorrow. Thanks to Andrew Detmer in the booth for making everything work over there because uh, – Oh, heaven knows I don't know any of those things work. Otherwise, we'd just be doing nothing. I'd just be sitting in there confused, looking at all sorts of bright, twinkly lights, and you'd never hear a thing. Definitely on the right side of the glass. Thanks to Andrew for doing that the last couple of days. Thanks to, of course, uh, my co-host, the legendary Sandy Clough, who will be back tomorrow with me. So keep it right here on Miley Sports. No, he knows the code. It's not about the salary. It's all about reality and making some noise, making a story, making sure his click stays up. That means when he puts it down, Tuck's picking it up.